1: We're your hosts, Brendan and Catherine.
0: Welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Today is episode number 323. Today we're doing the storytelling of the Festival of the Lion King.
1: But before we jump into that, we do want to mention a message from Hannah Little, who is our friend and travel agent sponsor If you are looking to come to Disney World right now, it's a great time. We have the holidays, we have the 50th anniversary, and we have the highly anticipated launch of Genie Plus. If you're looking for someone to navigate you through that new system, to help book your vacation, to schedule the vacation of your dreams, Hannah is definitely your person. She is so organized. She's easy to work with. She creates customized itineraries, which is something that, is unmatched. It's something that you just can't beat, honestly. And if you're interested in working with her, you can use the link in our show notes or you can go to detourdinoverland dot forward slash little bit of Disney.
0: You know, when you were listing off the big things coming right now, I thought you were gonna say like sweater weather or fall. I was in the <laughs> parks yesterday and I think for about fifteen seconds I felt some sweater weather, and then it was back to sweltering heat, but I felt it for a few moments. I may have With just like been, a little
1: bit of cloud coverage.
0: Yeah, I may have just been walking past like the ice cream shop, but nonetheless, I felt it. It's coming.
1: And we are so excited. It is truly the perfect time to visit.
0: Yep. Quickly, before we get started, this episode is also made possible by our Patreon page. We are so thankful for our patrons over there. It's such a fun space of places that we're able to put up bonus episodes. We put up wallpapers, we put up all of our show notes, among many other things. If you'd like to check that out and get a limited edition Detour to Neverland magnet, we still have a few left. You can check that out at patreon.com slash detour to Neverland. So I'm actually surprised that we've made it this far in the storytelling series without doing Festival of the Lion King. We have covered a lot of Animal Kingdom in the past, and I tried to construct the dialogue for this one to not rehash much of what we've talked about in the past, but some of it we will. If you have listened to some storytelling in the past, sometimes we lean heavily on the actual breakdown of the story. And then sometimes we lean heavily on the history and kind of how this attraction came to be. This episode is going to be the latter because we're going to get to the story at the end, but it's kind of straightforward. Would you agree with that?
1: Oh, absolutely. It's a straightforward show. Um, as far as what you can expect to experience, it's great, which is something else that we're going to talk about. But I do think the history is what's interesting.
0: Yeah. And we're, again, I, I feel like I've said this the last couple of episodes we're going to take some twists, we're going to take some turns, but bear with me because I c- think we constructed this in a way that it's going to enhance and give you a deeper appreciation for Festival of the Lion King. Because that's the goal, right? We want the next time that you go into this show, you can pick up on different things or understand a little bit about the history of this, so that you enjoy it even more so than you already do. So, some of the key facts for this: to get it out of the way, it is an opening day attraction for Disney's Animal Kingdom, opening on Earth Day, April twenty second, nineteen ninety eight. It did close in January of two thousand fourteen for a few months to move from Camp Minnie Mickey over to Africa in the Harambe Theater where it is now. It reopened in June of that same year, 2014. And then now we do have kind of a second version of it, but I'm hoping this is still temporary, right? It is the celebration of the Festival of the Lion King opened up on May 15th, 2021, post-COVID closing. So we went for about a year, almost uh, about 10 months, of not having Festival of the Lion King showing in Disney's Animal Kingdom, but we are happy to have it back.
1: I just think it's so funny that whenever they bring something back and it's not necessarily what it used to be, they call it a celebration
0: or a taste of fest of food and wine.
1: Yeah, it's it's an interesting kind of mind tricky thing that they're doing, Disney. I see what you're doing here. It'll be
0: interesting to see when Finding Nemo comes back. What? little blurb they put on the front of that.
1: Ooh, let's make some predictions. A, oh, I'm trying to think of like a fluffy word.
0: Well, it's the official name of it is Finding Nemo the Musical. So maybe it'll be Finding Nemo the Light Musical or something. (laughs) The
1: Musical, the Musical.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then just something to note is that this show is also in Hong Kong Disneyland. It was an opening day attraction in 2005, which I was not aware of before right now.
1: No, I wouldn't have guessed that either. I mean, obviously, Lion King is a show and a movie. I mean, it's a movie <laughs> that a lot of people relate to and love and have connected with over the years. I mean, I would be so bold as to say that Lion King has got to be on every kid's like major lineup.
0: At least kids around our age. And I want to talk about that a little bit about people who grew up in the 90s. This era has such a significant stamp on the parks. It does. So we will talk about that. We will get there. Foreshadowing. So we have discussed in previous episodes about this very complicated history of Disney's Animal Kingdom. And the era that we're specifically going to talk about really starts in like the late 80s. And then we're going to follow that through the millennium into the 2000s today and talk about how Festival of the Lion King and Disney's Animal Kingdom came to be. We have talked about some different angles of this in the past. If you're interested in learning more about the history of Animal Kingdom, most significantly or in most length, we talked about it in the Kilimanjaro Safari storytelling episode, which was 168, or Expedition Everest episode number 180. That was painful to say.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. Can you even believe that? I mean, what is this? 323. Wow. You
0: know what they say? Quantity over quality, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. No, but that's crazy because I like vividly remember both of these episodes, probably because it's Animal Kingdom.
0: And they were both your picks. Animal Kingdom is your park.
1: It's my park, but they just stand out to me that I would never have predicted that they were back in the 100s. Man, wow.
0: Yeah, a little side note just to prove Catherine's love of Animal Kingdom – is that we are in our late 20s. We've now been married for five years. We've had a home for four of those. We still have zero style in our house.
1: Absolutely none.
0: <laughs> and so the recent kick that Catherine's been on is you want this, our house, to be like Animal Kingdom, specifically mm. like Harambe.
1: So- oh, I, yeah. Whatever we need to do to find an interior decorator, I'm looking at you, Kelly. Um, to help us out, Kelly from Carmen Kismet. She has beautiful taste. However, she can figure that out for us, she doesn't know it yet, but she's gonna be my interior decorator. Uh, that would be great. But that's as far as we've gotten. That's the only that's what I like. So and that's
0: what you want to bring into the home is Disney's Animal Kingdom. Animal Kingdom.
1: Kingdom. Joe Roadie, if you're listening, you could come do our house for us. That could be fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure
0: we can pay Joe Roadie's hourly rate. No,
1: he would do it Just like for a fan, I think. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Big fan.
0: Well, who knew? So I kind of mentioned this before, but I really think for Animal Kingdom, we can start picking up the tracks of how things fell into place if you go back to like the 1988-1989 timeframe. So just to set the stage, for this time period, Disney MGM Studios had just opened in 1989 and like pretty much every single other Disney park besides, that is not a castle park, it struggled out of the gate. And one of the biggest complaints that guests would give to Disney as feedback when they visit MGM Studios was that there was a lack of intellectual property. Now, that is a term that's thrown around quite often. If you're not familiar with what it is, it's basically just using Disney characters or using Disney movies In the parks. Um, So something like, uh, what is it? Figment is non-movie intellectual property. It's original to the park.
1: Yeah, so something that would fall into the intellectual property category for now, Hollywood Studios would be like Voyage of the Little Mermaid.
0: Yeah, Frozen. Frozen. Entering into Epcot. That's intellectual property. Just to clear that up, because that's a term that's going to come up a lot throughout today. And just as a refresher, the opening day attractions for MGM Studios were only the Great Movie Ride and Backlot Tour, both of which use intellectual property a little bit, but not the way that guests were already familiar with.
1: It's not in your face.
0: Correct. And you can see that Disney responded to this feedback very heavily. So here are the first seven additions to MGM Studios after the park opened, and six of these or intellectual property based Indiana Jones stunt, spectacular star tours, honey, I shrunk the kids adventure. That's the playground the area.
1: Oh, where was the show? Was that an Epcot? Epcot? Yeah. Oh, okay.
0: Muppet vision, 3d beauty and the beast live on stage voyage of the little mermaid. And then finally tower of terror stopped the trend, but that's even kind of an asterisk on that one. Cause they are bringing in an outside intellectual property. It just wasn't theirs.
1: Well, you know, that does break the trend.
0: It does. And all of these additions were made within the first five years of Hollywood Studios being open. So by 1994, that's when everything had fallen into place into MGM. It's kind of picked up its stride. They could see that the intellectual property was helping the park. Attendance had continued to grow. People were loving these things that they added, particularly... The Indiana Jones stunt spectacular, Star Tours was super popular, and then Tower of Terror as well.
1: I was going to say, if you did not mention Star Tours, we were going to have some problems. <laughs> yes,
0: so that was a very big deal. And so if you think about that time frame of 1994, that's kind of right in the middle of when Disney's Animal Kingdom had to start taking shape or when they were starting to put the puzzle pieces in place to get it ready to open in 1998, because it takes a long time to build a theme park. So that's the feedback that they were getting on their most recent edition. So that's, I say this all just to kind of plant that in your brain, is that that's the number one thing that they're hearing, and they saw almost immediate success by injecting IP into MGM Studios.
1: What really makes me just kind of question that is, I feel like you compare that to like Joe Rody, and he had like this very distinct vision for animal kingdom and, you know, conservation and how they wanted to connect it back to nature and IP. I feel like he would not have been on the IP bandwagon.
0: And he wasn't. And you're reading ahead.
1: Well, I just had to throw that. Out. That's the first thing that came to mind. So I'm, I'm just throwing it out there.
0: Yeah, and you tandem all of this that's happening with MGM Studios with the other thing that's happening in the early 90s, and that is Euro Disney. So now Disneyland Paris it opened in 1992, and you talk about a horrible start. Euro Disney got about the worst start you could possibly imagine. The French media turned against it. The French people turned against it. They're basically only getting visitors from the UK for the first little while because that's all that they could really attract because the French just weren't interested in it at the very beginning and it's losing money. And so, you know, it's their first castle park that they open that did not do well. And I think that they were probably taken aback by that. If I had to guess.
1: Yeah. I mean, because at this point we only have three parks, right? We have, I shouldn't say parks. We have Disneyland, Disney world, and now Euro Disney, I know um, like Hong Kong, right? No, Shanghai. Sorry. Shanghai is the most recent one. So that would have been after. Were Tokyo open yet?
0: Tokyo had been open for a decade at this point. Oh, my gosh. 1983.
1: Wow. Okay. So that did well. Yeah. So it's just Euro Disney. They messed it up for us.
0: Yeah. So there's all kinds of stuff. And we may do an episode on it in the future, probably after we visit Disneyland Paris, We don't really want to talk about things that we haven't experienced before, so we'll get to that at some point. But all of this is basically setting the stage: is that Michael Eisner and Disney, Walt Disney Imagineering, had a very unique situation on their hands. So Joe Rohde, as the lead designer of Animal Kingdom, had pitched this idea of basically an IP-less park. Nothing. It's all about conservation. It's all about nature. There's, I would assume they always knew that there would be like character meet and greets and things like that, but it was more focused on the animals themselves and not necessarily tied to any of the movies that they had done in the past.
1: Joe rody I mean, he's the man. I feel like to a certain extent, we do still have that version of the park and I feel like I'll even come back to it a little later. I'm sure we'll talk about things that have kind of happened within Animal Kingdom. But we've definitely seen kind of that teetering back and forth.
0: It's been a full-fledged jump recently.
1: You mean forwards or backwards?
0: Towards IP.
1: They took away Doug and Russell from the bird show.
0: Well, that's a minor, I think. I think that's a cost-cutting thing more than it's a decision on intellectual property,
1: personally. That's probably true, but I'm still taking it as a teetering.
0: Okay. You can view it that way. Okay. So when Joe Rohde and Walt Disney Imagineering pitched Animal Kingdom, or kind of uh, maybe pitch is not the right word, there is an interesting story about the pitch, which I watched recently, that he couldn't get the executives to buy in on this idea, and he brought a live tiger into the pitch room.
1: Wait, where did we watch this because it was incredible. What was that that we were watching on TV?
0: I don't remember. Where oh it my came
1: gosh. From. It was yeah, it was amazing because basically the problem was that you know, the Disney as a whole did not think that animals would keep anyone's attention. They thought compared to the other parks, it would be such a letdown, people would be bored, and Joe, being Joe Rohde, decided that the that the only way to prove to them that animals were interesting was to bring in a live tiger into the boardroom. So he said he started his pitch for lack of a better word, and he's going through his ideas, and all of a sudden a tiger walks in. And of course, you have all these Disney executives in their suits, kind of like, uh, like, what's going on? They're just, you know, they stiffen up, they're like looking around, they're kind of nervous. But of course, their interest is piqued by what's going on
0: and Joe just keeps talking the whole time like nothing is happening
1: yeah he's just he's carrying on you know like this is normal and then all of a sudden the tiger leaves and he was kind of like in your face like point proven look how interesting these close encounters with these animals can be like look how intriguing that was and he said from that point on no one ever Questioned him basically, or his idea on the use of animals.
0: Was that in the fiftieth uh, anniversary special? It must have been.
1: It must that that is the most recent thing that we watched. So again, if you haven't watched that on ABC, or now it's going to be on Disney Plus, you have got to watch it.
0: Yeah, it's on Hulu as well. If it's not on Disney Plus yet, yeah. So anyway, Joe and the Imagineering team came up with these seven distinct lands or areas in the original concept for Disney's Animal Kingdom. First is the Oasis, which I didn't know it was called that. That's the front entry portion of the park. So the the first habitats that you see, the all the water features, that's called the Oasis. Africa, Asia, which technically wasn't open with the park. It opened later in 1999. It was kind of just a construction site when it opened in 1998, but would eventually open Dinoland USA, the conservation station, which was technically still part of Africa on the map since that's how you got to it, but it is separate, now known as Rafiki's Planet Watch. Beastly Kingdom, which again, we'll talk of, we've talked about it in the past. We talked about it specifically in the Expedition Everest episode, I believe, but it was cut due to budgetary restrictions, mainly looking at you, Euro Disney, is the reason that we couldn't <laughs> get it. And then Camp Mini Mickey. And so Camp Mini Mickey was kind of seen as this compromise where the executives want IP, the Imagineers and Joe Rohde don't want any IP. And so it seems like they just came to the resolution, okay, we'll have one land that is dedicated to all of the intellectual property. You can stick anything you want in there, but don't let it touch a lot of the rest of the park. Now we know that eventually broke free, but that was kind of the original idea behind it.
1: Insert. We're breaking free. Oh, you're not going to pick up? No. Oh, okay.
0: I thought that was the theme song for Kite Tales.
1: Well, that too. So again, it fits, doesn't it? Yeah. Animal Kingdom.
0: They needed Zac Efron and Vanessa Hudgens to yes, be do the like theme a nice song for overlay. Animal Kingdom. So in this Camp Mini Mickey, if you were lucky enough to visit it, it was one of my favorite areas ever in Disney. It had just countless meet and greets. You could always go back there and find an interesting character. On top of that, they had Grandmother Willow's Grove, which was, I don't remember this. Do you? So it was themed, obviously, to Pocahontas. And what you would do is you would help search for the protector of the forest. And so they had these different photo huts set up that you would go around to and Work with Grandmother Willow and Pocahontas in order to find the protector of the forest. I don't remember it too much.
1: I don't remember that at all, which is shocking because I do vividly remember all the character meet and greets. Like, I remember Camp Minnie Mickey. I mean, we would spend a lot of time at Animal Kingdom as kids. Maybe we just weren't interested so much in the like walking around scavenger hunt kind of thing because, like, even as a kid, I don't really remember going on the trails. Or anything, I mean, just maybe too much walking, not enough thrill for our family, but...
0: Not enough IP?
1: Yeah, not enough IP for us, so we just didn't do it.
0: So, and then, of course, that's also where they put the theater that housed the festival of the Lion King. So this brand new show, we'll talk about the show specifically a little bit later on, but I want to talk about how did they decide on Lion King? You know, what are the things in motion within the company that made this even possible when, you know, they said, all right, you get this one area. This is what you have to deal with. You know, what made them or what was in the works in order to make this possible? So coming off the Disney Renaissance, which there's varying dates on when people say it officially ended, I feel like I always kind of view the Disney Renaissance ends after Little Mermaid. You may have a different interpretation, but it's somewhere in the late 80s is where the renaissance ends. And then you start to have the things that we talked about previously. MGM Studios is kind of struggling. Euro Disney is struggling in the early 90s. But where Disney is really killing it is at the box office. And specifically, there's this trio of three amazing animated films that come out in the early to mid nineties that carry the company for at least the next 20 years, if not the (laughs) next 30. So beauty and the beast comes out in 1991. Aladdin comes out in 1992 and the lion King comes out in 1994. And you can see that the Disney executives and the people in charge of the parks department see that this is our cash cow. We have to implant it. We have to use this in the parks. These people love these characters. You even see them use it in all these spinoff series. This is about the time that you start seeing the Lion King show or the Lion King one and a half come out as a straight to DVD. (laughs) I remember there was an Aladdin TV show. There was a Beauty and the Beast TV show. I mean, there's all. Was there a Beauty and the Beast?
1: Yeah, I think you just made that. There was a Little Mermaid TV show. Um I'm trying to think of others. I can't think of a Beauty and the Beast because that would have been on repeat in my house. Beauty and the Beast was my sister's favorite movie. So it we would have seen every episode.
0: Yeah. So the point is, is that the executives took what was making money and injected it directly into parts of the other other parts of the business, specifically the parks in this time period that were struggling. So what's their response? You see Beauty and the Beast live on stage premieres in MGM in 1991, the same year that the movie is released.
1: Ooh.
0: Aladdin's Royal Caravan, which was a parade, which is actually the origination of those golden camels that you see at the um, Magic Carpets ride right now, premieres in MGM Studios in 1992, same year that the movie is released. The Legend of the Lion King premieres in Magic Kingdom as a puppet show which is now where Magic is, in 1994, the same year that the movie is released. So they are moving very, very quickly to get these characters that are resonating with kids and with families at home and making them visible in the parks because that's what people expect to see. On top of that, they then unveiled The Circle of Life and Environmental Fable, premieres in Epcot in 1995, which is now closed. But if you were curious, they took a little bit of a break, but The Magic Carpets opened in Magic Kingdom in 2001. So really not too long, nine years after the movie released, which I didn't realize they were that old.
1: Well, yeah. And it's not even though that that's a huge break. I feel like if you consider a lot of these other rides and attractions and how long it usually takes to get things. Now, not that the magic carpets of Aladdin is like groundbreaking by any means, but I mean, it does involve construction.
0: Yeah. And I think all of those things that we previously mentioned, they all have varying degrees of success. But if you have to pinpoint it on one, I think you have to look at Beauty and the Beast live on stage. It is a massive hit in MGM Studios. It's still pretty popular to this day. And I think that laid the groundwork where Eisner and the Imagineers and the executives see that, okay, we have this animal-themed park. Shows are doing well and experiences that are taking these very, very popular movies and putting them right in front of of our guest faces, and it just makes sense. Why not lean on the most successful film of this entire bunch, The Lion King, and put it right here in Camp Minnie Mickey?
1: I mean, I'm not going to lie; it does fit. Like it's it's IP, and I know it's not what Joe Rohde wanted, and I always want to respect his wishes. But if you had to pick something, you have an Africa section of the park. Lion King is huge. It does kind of go hand in hand. I would
0: agree. I think time has proven from 1998 to 2021 now. I can't do that math. Can you do that math?
1: Uh, Well, it must have been, what, 23 years?
0: Yeah. Oh, well, so Animal Kingdom is about to be 25 in a couple years. Ooh, that'll years.
1: be a fun celebration.
0: Yeah. But Lion King still works. And we'll talk about its move over to Africa in just a minute, but... I do think they made the right decision. Now, I think it's just the natural progression of things. You saw it kind of break down in Epcot, where eventually intellectual property just inserts its way in. And we have been vocal in the past, and I think I'll just speak for myself, and then you can share your thoughts. I like intellectual property in the parks. I I think as a way of sharing the message of that particular park – and showing kids that their favorite characters from the movies or TV shows also relate to that same message, I think it's a good thing. But I know other people have varying degrees of sensitivity to IP.
1: I do have a similar thought. You know, we're suckers when it comes to just like your typical Disney stuff, we're very much your average. I feel like part goer, if that makes sense. But I do also agree with the fact that kids relate to things that they already know. So if they can see the Lion King and connect that lion to the real lion that they see on Kilimanjaro Safari and then listen to the message of conservation and think, you know, how important is it that I recycle or save water or do these things, you know, raise awareness about poaching, whatever it might be you know, if they can connect that to this could save Simba, you know, that sounds so silly, but that's how kids think, you know, so just to kind of put that perspective on it, that it's just one more way that they can actually connect with the message. I'm okay with it.
0: Yeah. And one more note to say for if anybody's, you know, well-versed in the history of Disney's animal kingdom is they did budge in some other areas as well. So they did build the Theater in the Wild, which is now the home for Finding Nemo the Musical, but it originally was home to a show that was only open for a year, and that was Journey into the Jungle Book. Now, I tried to find video of this, and I could not. Oh, But I would be very interested in that. But it's funny, you've kind of always seen, and we see it now in Kite Tales too. they use Jungle Book, and they use The Lion King a whole lot in Animal Kingdom. they It's used the Up, music. Yeah, they used Up for a little while as well. I hope they bring that back. But those are kind of the two mainstays that they've always leaned on. I mean, who doesn't have a memory of meeting Baloo and King Louie in Animal Kingdom? I feel like that's a universal, anybody who went to Animal Kingdom pre-pandemic, you, those are the two that everybody has met at at least one point.
1: I mean, they were always out. It's almost, you know, like you expect to meet Mickey and Minnie if you go to Magic Kingdom, let's say. You expect to meet Blue and King Louie if you go to Animal Kingdom. They were just always there.
0: Yeah. And so I mentioned it did only run for one year. And then that is where? The Beloved. The most wonderful show to ever exist. Tarzan Rocks was there from 1999 to 2006. Now, if my parents are listening, I was a twerp. I would be, is, think is a good noun for it. I never wanted to see this when we went during 1999 to 2006, and I since regret that because now I've, I watch it on YouTube like semi-regularly, and it is <laughs> such a good show.
1: It Yeah, this is another one. Unfortunately, I don't have any memory of watching it. I think we skipped over a lot of shows as kids, and... I wouldn't call myself a twerp, per se. I was probably very impatient, you know. But, yeah, I wish I wish I had real-life memories of Tarzan Rocks.
0: Man, gone but not forgotten. Exactly. So let's briefly talk about the move from Camp Minnie Mickey over to Africa. So, of course, this was forced by the construction for Pandora, the world of Avatar, which I think we can all pretty much agree there might be a few dissenters. It's an upgrade over Camp Mini Mickey. Would you agree to that?
1: I would agree to that. There's I a mean,
0: nostalgia factor. but Always. But just based on the jaw-dropping factor or whatever, Pandora is just unmatched.
1: And they did find a nice way to fit it in with Animal Kingdom and the message of Animal Kingdom.
0: And it's kind of like the beastly kingdom that never was.
1: Well, let's not get too carried away, sir. <laughs> so this still want is it? no Beastly Kingdom. This is Avatar. You
0: can find Beastly Kingdom down the road at Islands of Adventure.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Hagrid, yeah, he has that, the monopoly on that.
0: Well, not even Hagrid's, but just that whole Lost Continent area. I mean, it's basically what they were going to do at Beastly Kingdom.
1: But like Hagrid and all his <laughs> magical creatures. That's <laughs> that, not Beastly Kingdom to you. He has a freaking unicorn
0: that, that and a three headed dog. That's very true.
1: I'm, I know. Yeah. <laughs> you are correct.
0: I'm with you. Um, but if anybody does have a memory of seeing Festival of the Lion King back when it was in Camp Minnie Mickey, I think there is one adjective that will show up in everybody's description of this show. Do you know what it is? Fun? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe some people would describe it as fun. But I think more than anything, it is hot, humid. Sticky, sweaty, (laughs) nasty. An outdoor theater with little to no air circulation in central Florida does not work for 10 months out of the year. There's probably two months where it was very enjoyable to be in that theater. But I think it was kind of a blessing in disguise for Pandora to move in. They get their nice air-conditioned, theater in Harambe that is a much better home for this show.
1: Those poor performers is all I can think. Like if the rest of us were hot, can you imagine what, you know, those performers would have felt like? Oh my gosh.
0: One thing I learned from our friend Matt from Imagineer podcast, which I did not know this before. I listened to his episode on Kilimanjaro and prep for this was that all of the, Performers actually do their own makeup before every show.
1: Oh, I knew that. Liz has told me, you know, from being friends with princesses that they do their own makeup.
0: I always imagined that they would have somebody back there doing it for them, but
1: that's part of being, I guess, in entertainment.
0: Interesting. They have
1: to learn how to do their own stuff.
0: But yeah,
1: they I- teach them. It's not like that you just show up and say, you're a zebra, good luck, you know, (laughs) like they tell you what to do.
0: Yeah, so that's what Matt said, is that there's very (laughs) specific instructions that are given to them on how to properly do it. Mm -hmm. But I thought that was fun.
1: That is fun. It's a good fact.
0: So are you ready to talk about the show?
1: Well, yeah, and I do think that this still falls into the history category because I think obviously everything that you just talked about was very interesting. But this kind of blew my mind as I was researching this part of it. I think it goes back to the injection of IP and really kind of stuffing these very popular movies, not down our throats, but down our throats. And we had Aladdin in MGM. They brought the Lion King to Disneyland. And that's where they had their themed parade called the Lion King Celebration. And it ran through June 1994 to 1997 which I was a little surprised by because by 1997 at that point, it's not a new film anymore.
0: Yeah. I mean, that is, that's a long tenure for a parade, especially in Disneyland. They like to cut things off short.
1: God bless Disneyland in with the new, but so they had this three year parade all about the Lion King. They had six floats, 89 cast members. So they had 56 dancers, puppeteers, Um, acrobatic dancers musicians operators it was a whole parade you know at first when i was reading about this i was kind of picturing just like a sad cavalcade unfortunately but this was a full fledged performance and if you get the chance to watch it on youtube you should it was pretty cool
0: i know why it ran for three years why? To prepare you for Lion King one and a half to keep the hype up. <laughs> I had to get those VHS sales.
1: Well, I had one. Did you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course, <I> everyone did. <laughs> I
0: also bought the video game and the big plush doll and everything. Lion mm-hmm. King.
1: You have to have it all, or you're not a real fan. You know. What was really interesting, though, is that this was the first parade where they started to use audio animatronics in a parade, and also what they called puppetronics. Which is a word that I had never heard before. And I was really excited to see that word. What a term. Basically, just a puppet mixed with an audio animatronic.
0: Who would have guessed that was the combination? (laughs) But I thought it was like a cyborg.
1: But what's cool is, you know, it has the features with the blinking eyes, but someone is controlling it. So it is a little more lifelike versus what I think of when I, you know, what comes to mind for me is like the Olaf. Or I'm trying to think of another audio animatronic on a float. Can you think of anybody?
0: Mike Wazowski and Paint the Night.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay, so that's a good one. But these moved a little bit differently. And what you can probably guess is that these same puppetronics and floats are the same ones that ended up in the Festival of the Lion King show. That's where they came from.
0: So, oh, so really? Yeah. Like the ones that go into the four corners? Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that.
1: Well, Disney loves to repurpose things. And this is why I think this is the coolest fact ever is that they did get repurposed. So the four floats, we have the giraffe, the elephant, Simba, and the one with Pumbaa. Now, this is where if you want to go back and watch the parade, you'll notice that the floats are pretty different. You know, over the years, they definitely got some touch-ups and some revamps. Um, On the original float that symbol was on, there was also a Nala. She is not there at the bottom anymore. Man. On Pumbaa's floats, they had, it was like a whole rainforest scene where they had monkeys. On the giraffe float, there were two giraffes. A tower? A, A tower of giraffes. Yeah, now there's just one singular, giraffe. But it is pretty cool to see. You definitely can tell the relation. And especially when you look at the puppetronics, you can see, you know, the Simba and the Pumbaa.
0: They're definitely the same. So you're telling me, are they still puppetronics?
1: I don't. They might just be full fledged audio animatronics, but at the time, they were puppetronics. When they were parade floats, that's what they were.
0: I almost, you know, I got that impression recently because. The last two times we've watched it, I've watched the giraffe specifically. And the movements aren't the same every time. Like, you know, they nod and Mm -hmm. do their head back and forth. And so I think it probably is a pubatronic. I would say I would be interested about Simba and Pumbaa since they have talking parts on how they function now. Mm -hmm. But it could be still a person doing it.
1: I mean, I wouldn't put it past them. I think maybe back when... I mean, we are going to get into all the different parts, but maybe back when it was a little more interactive with the crowd, I could see where it would be much more valuable to have a puppeteer as part of it. So, in thinking about the other floats, since we listed four and they started with six, I was thinking, well, what are the other two floats that we are now missing out on? Hyenas. No. Well, S- Scar. No. There was no Scar. What? Or hyenas in this parade. I guess they were just focusing on all the happy happy, but I would have loved a scar.
0: Quick side note before you reveal what the other two parade uh, floats were. Okay. Do you, how do you feel about Shinzi, Bonsai and Ed? They're in the Boot to You parade and then we see them pop up in other things. I think are they in frightfully fun in Disneyland as well? They might mm, be. They maybe. might be. Everybody's anyway, in that one. Everybody's seen these I I would a lot of people have seen. These walking characters that are only in parades normally. Do you like them with their broken necks? Or do you think there's a better way to portray them?
1: I think they're kind of cool. But why do they have broken necks? Well, because at some points in the parade, they do kind of get down on all fours. Not, and I don't know if they pretend to walk or if it's just part of like their pose, you know, in the different parts of the parade where they do those fun little things. But when they get down, They look cool. I think when they're just walking.
0: Their head's just flopping around. It's
1: a little weird. It's kind of Hunchback of Notre Dame-esque. But when they're actual hyenas, it's pretty cool.
0: Okay. All right. So what were the other two floats?
1: One was the very first float where Rafiki and Zazu were up there just kind of introducing.
0: I would assume Zazu was stationary, like not an actual character, right?
1: Yes. He was talking. But he it was an audio animatronic. Are you allowed to say that? It was it was Azu. And then the other one was it was like this massive it was like a three part float where they had live performers like drummers, all sorts of instruments. And they were in similar costumes to what we see in the show now, as far as being a little more
0: African-inspired?
1: Yes. Real, not cartoony? Not cartoony. Yeah, they weren't characters by any means. Um, so those were the two that we're missing out on now.
0: Man, we could use both of those.
1: I wonder if uh, that Zazu got replaced into the Tiki room.
0: Oh, uh, when they did the under new management? Yeah. I don't know. Now that's probably burned somewhere.
1: Well, probably, but they do like to repurpose things. So the show itself is considered to be a review, which means it's not like the Broadway show. It's not a retelling of the story. They do obviously use the music and they reference back to some things and they're using the characters like Timon and Simba. But it's not just a retelling, which is even what we kind of see with Finding Nemo. It is its own interpretation, which is pretty cool.
0: And I think it fits the theme of Africa better.
1: It does. And this is where we get our four hosts.
0: I'm going to have to say their names, aren't they? Aren't I?
1: No, we've seen the show so many times. Are you kidding me?
0: You're normally not very good with names.
1: I'm not, but recently, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the heat. I feel like we've seen Festival of the Lion King like three times in the past. A celebration
0: of the Festival of the Lion King.
1: Thank you for reminding me. Like three times in the past two weeks or something. I feel pretty confident.
0: Okay, I know how they pronounce it. You, not to be a know-it-all, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm I'm here for backup if you need me.
1: Well, thank you. But they have Swahili names, which I can appreciate. So you have Kiyume, which means masculine and strong. He is the, I would say, the main host. I know they all have a four part. They're equal. But he has like the booming voice. Like he kind of commands. Well, doesn't your he say presence. he's the leader? He, I mean, masculine and strong, probably. Okay. Then you have Nakawa, good looking. He's like the prince. You have Kabibi, which is the princess. And then you have Zawadi.
0: I thought you meant impatient. That's a joke from the show.
1: Oh, yeah, that's what I meant. And then Zawadi, the gift. And she also has a very like booming presence.
0: Oh yeah. When she sings Circle of Life, it everybody like holds on to their seats. Yeah, it's, it's like amazing.
1: jaw-dropping moment for sure. She she I means she ends the show. You gotta be good if you get to end the show. Let's go through the songs and we'll kind of talk through what's happening in each one of them and maybe what's supposed to happen versus what is happening right now during our celebration. We start with, I just can't wait to be king. And that's when we see the floats enter into the theater. So you kind of have that moment where you're seeing all of these new characters. The dancers are introduced. You move into Hakuna Matata, which is typically the tumble monkeys. Right now there are no tumble monkeys, so we just get Timon singing. Although if you've seen the show before the condensed version... I think it's funny how they still incorporate a lot of the same audio. Have you noticed that?
0: Yeah, they haven't really changed the soundtrack at all.
1: At all, no. So it's kind of funny to see how they've reworked some of that. Then you get Be Prepared with Scar. This is my favorite of all time.
0: Ever? Like favorite song ever?
1: Well, I do love this song, but this is my favorite scene of the show. Okay. Um, And then this is where you get the cool performer who does the fire breathing, the fire twirling and everything.
0: They are excellent.
1: Oh, he's, yeah, amazing. I'm so glad they were able to bring him back. Then you have the Can You Feel the Love Tonight, where you used to have the aerial acrobats as birds. Now they're doing ballet. It's still cool, but I don't think anything quite beats the aerial work. And then you have the Lion Sleeps Tonight, which used to be the kid parade where they would take everyone around the bottom part of the theater. Obviously they don't do that right now. And then the circle of life.
0: And it's kind of like a medley at the end too.
1: It is. I think it starts as just the circle of life. And then they kind of bring in little bits and pieces of each song as kind of their finale farewell, like their bow moment.
0: Yeah. And that's it. And and then Timon tells you to get out.
1: So it really does focus more so on the music and kind of the storytelling in an abstract way, you know, where they're not using puppets or, you know, characters to act everything out. But I think since everyone is so familiar with the story of the Lion King, you still kind of follow along and work through those same scenes.
0: So some conversation that I've seen online and you know, it's been such a mainstay show now. I don't think anybody would want them to change anything, but I have seen chatter at some points of should they incorporate more characters? For example, should you have a Rafiki come in or should you have other like walk around characters? I say, no, I would even not even be sad. If I mean, I would be, it'd be weird, but I I would trade Timon for the Tumble Monkeys back tomorrow.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, if that was a trade that you could make, I completely agree. And I also don't think you need any more characters because I feel like the story is being told. And I think just having kind of Simba there and you get a little bit of Timon, almost really just for comedic relief. I mean, that's kind of why he's there. And you get... Pumbaa, I don't think Rafiki would add anything. I don't think there's any part of the show, as it stands right now, where he would contribute a ton.
0: Yeah. So what's your review of the show? Do you love it? Is it okay? Is it? you think it's a must-do for anybody visiting Animal Kingdom?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think this is a show that everyone likes, mostly because the music is something that everyone is familiar with. So maybe even though if you're traveling with kids and you're not necessarily seeing like a Finding Nemo show where each of the characters comes out. I think there's enough going on and it's so well done. Like all the dancers and performers are super fun that I just think it's enough. Yeah. It's a nice break. It is air conditioned like we so (laughs) lovingly pointed out. And I do think it's a must-do if you're going to Animal Kingdom.
0: Yeah. Do you think you get a greater appreciation for it now knowing the environment that kind of birthed this idea?
1: Um, yes, I do. I like the conversation about how the IP was brought in. Like, I think that's really interesting to kind of look at and see, again, just kind of how it's changed Animal Kingdom over time. I like knowing that the camels that you mentioned came from the parade. <laughs>
0: That's what you took out of this?
1: Well, no, I, I like how re, how Disney repurposes things. I think it's hilarious. Disney is this massive company worldwide.
0: And they upcycle more, things. Exactly,
1: more money than we could ever imagine. And they're the kings of hand-me-downs. I freaking love it. So just knowing that these... Floats in the show came from a Disneyland parade that ran for three years. It's hysterical going through um how did I just forget the name in Epcot with the plants
0: <laughs> living with the land
1: yes, every time we go through living with the land and I see those bison that were repurposed, it makes me giggle like i j they don't need to do that, but they, they do it anyway many? um. The river westward,
0: western river expansion. Yes, Ex- yeah,
1: Ex- expansion, expedition, something.
0: The lot. The it was never built.
1: Never, yeah, never built. Never came to be. Mark
0: Davis's baby.
1: It was, and I just think to me that's what stands out because no matter what, I think that's hilarious.
0: Yeah. So, any other final thoughts on *Festival of the Lion King* before we sign off?
1: Oh, um, I don't think so.
0: I mean, Harini. Isn't that what what you say at the end of Kilimanjaro? Goodbye?
1: Well, it's not goodbye. Isn't it like, see you you later?
0: Yeah. A a ending farewell. (laughs) Whatever (laughs) it is. So we thank you so much for listening to this storytelling episode of the Festival of the Lion King. We'd love to know your thoughts or your opinions on this show. Tell us maybe some of your favorite memories. We'd love to have you share those on social media. We will reshare them all day as we reflect on the storytelling of this amazing show and the history of it and how it came to be. If you are looking to plan a Disney vacation, definitely reach out to our friend and sponsor, Hannah Little with Creating Magic Vacation. She will set you up, get your family in the best position possible to have the most magical vacation you could ever imagine. You can reach her at the link in our show notes down below or at Detour to Neverland.com slash little bit of disney also check out our patreon if you are interested in that patreon.com slash detour to neverland and we would love to chat with you about anything disney related reach out to us on social media all of our handles are in the show notes below so thank you guys so much for listening we will be back on monday and we can't wait to chat with you then